shit. All right. Is it fine? Yeah. No, 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 no it looks fine. I'm just getting used to it. We're not going to use the S word again. <laughs> I meant like a leaf, dude. I don't know what, what you were thinking about. Like, you know. <laughs> I've never heard built. someone refer to a leaf in that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's up, everyone? I'm Alex Lieberman. Yo, this is Jesse Pucci. And this is The Crazy Ones. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of The Crazy Ones, the best damn startup show in the world. And today's a special day because it is the second time ever that I have met Crazy. my co-host, Jesse Puji in person. And now we actually get to spend a, uh, an extended period of time together because I think last time I saw you was at Left Lane Conference. Yeah. Uh, and we saw each other, uh, each other for two minutes. Honestly, I didn't even remember how tall you were. So every time I see someone for the first time, that is always my first observation is how different their height is relative to what I expected. Yeah, because we're all eye to eye in the normal world. Exactly. But dude, I'm here in person. Before we start anything, this is such a cool office. You like it? You feel proud? Yeah. I mean, I can't take credit for any of the office that you know, like you know, Dan, who we were just with and Matt, our COO, you know, were the, the orchestrators of this thing, but yeah, it's, yeah. But for everyone listening, I got, I got a tour. It's two gorgeous floors, super lit up in the middle of uh, an like a flat iron in New York. And these studios are just amazing. I mean, you know, I recently, uh, I've been working out of a co-working space in St. Louis and I managed to get my hands on a sublease and it's 5,000 square feet. It's 50 desks makes no sense. I have five people in St. Louis, but there, I had this night where I couldn't sleep because I was so excited about like having a space. Totally. Whether I was going to have happy hours or whatever. Like, so it's anyway, one, one part of the entrepreneurial journey, I don't know, seeing here, I feel the energy of like, dude, you created this. Yeah. There is something incredibly special about having your own space for the first time. Like our first office was a WeWork and there's nothing wrong with a co-working space. Um, but it was hard, at least for us in the early days, to like really put our stamp on it. Yeah. The first time we got our space that we had to actually like do interior design ourselves, I one realized that I'm never going to be an interior designer. But yeah. then it was like, yeah, it was an incredibly special thing to feel like, you know, your professional version of home. Yeah, but keep it, man. You walk into this. This is the thing you created. Yeah. This is your little newsletter. That holy shit. There's you know 100 desks and 50 heartbeats running around the place and T-shirts. It's just cool. I, yeah. I get this is to me like that ins inspiring. Oh yeah, I can tell how I'm like lit like, up you are about it. This is so cool. This yeah. is a real thing. You made a real thing. No, I feel I feel super lucky to just be able to come into the space and and do what I do. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. But I'm honestly so excited for you to be here. Like obviously we've been able to build a relationship together mostly over Zoom and text and calls, but there's just something no matter what anyone says about this remote world Agreed. we live in, to like feel someone's energy in front of you, to see their body language. So I'm just excited to jam with you for the next uh, hour or so. Let's do it. Um, okay, so I know we have a few things we wanna talk about. My content agency that started as like an idea four weeks ago that's now a business, but we haven't incorporated yet. We don't have a name, we don't have a logo. We can talk about that. I know you incorporated a new business. And then we just wanted to jam about different uh, ideas within the world of AI. What do you wanna start with? Let's talk about AI. Okay. It's every, I mean, it's a little nauseating how much it's on Twitter. It's exhausting. Every thread is like, I did this with this thing. It's super cool. Um, I think open AI is a huge deal. You know, Sam Altman's from St. Louis, in case you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Now you know. <laughs> um, well, it feels like to me, you know, what I was saying to, uh, to Dan uh, before we started the episode is it feels like two months ago, no one knew about any of this. Uh, if anything, people are asking, what is ChatGPT? And then the speed by which it went from what is ChatGPT to not just everyone knows about it. And I, and I say everyone in a very nuanced way. Everyone as in like in our right. world. I, I still think I saw some stat about the number of people in different age groups in the U.S. that have tried ChatGPT. And the numbers were way higher than I thought it actually was. Yeah. But it's crazy how it's not just become like mainstream attention, but actually like products now every product is leveraging chat gpt or ai and so a question in my head was is like 
is ChatGPT and what OpenAI has built something that is truly novel in the world of AI? Like if you were like a researcher in AI, would you right. say this is novel or is this literally just like the podcast equivalent of Serial, the show that just put kind of a category onto the map? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's genuinely novel because you know, Microsoft doesn't run around making $10 billion investments out of nowhere. And Google, if Google had something that could be in a similar vein to it, it would, it would be out into the world. Yep. Right. So, so, cause it's getting users and there was that chart that showed how fast different things got to a billion it's users. Insane. And it was like, you know, cell phones took probably 10 years to get to a billion users. Facebook took, the internet took seven years. Facebook took four years or eight years or whatever. And then this took like a year yeah. or six months or something. I think, yeah, I think it was even shorter. It's crazy. And, and so I, I think there's, there's something real there. I think just like any hype cycle, you know, the amount people talk about Facebook ads is very little today. It's a hundred billion dollar business and still growing and they just crushed earnings. Be like, yeah, yeah, that's old stuff. Like this new thing is probably not generating all that much revenue. It's not yet a big business, but people can feel the hype cycle. Uh, you know, I, well, what's your take? Is it, do you think it's a hype? Like, are well, you, do you think it's real? Do you think it's going to be a game changing? My, my view is there are already really interesting things that you can do with it, <clears throat> but a lot of this stuff still is kind of janky in nature. Right. Um, like, for example, before this, I went to one of the tens of thousands of tools that helps you spin up a website in 60 seconds where you put in the name of the company, what you do, and it spins it up. And it was like a pretty shitty website. Right. And so I think a lot of tools are in that category right now. But there are some tools that are doing genuinely novel things. The reason I think about it a little bit differently than the Facebook ad business is because this feels way more like electricity. Like right. that, or like, like the internet. Yeah, exactly. This feels like when we're talking about AI, we're talking about the internet. We're not going to talk – we use the words AI like 20 years from now because right. it will just be how everything operates. And I, I was thinking earlier today like you know, there's these massive businesses that have built, been built on the back of Shopify and Shopify's app store. Like you know, Keith or Boy's whole business with – was it open store is yeah. rolling up these app store – these apps. I was thinking like – if you think that OpenAI is going to be multiples of Shopify, Shopify is a $60 billion company right now. I think OpenAI is $30 billion. You would have to think that the plugins to ChatGPT, which are gaining right. some popularity now as they're opening it up, is going to be multiples of that. And so I think it's really interesting to see the plugins yeah. that are being integrated to ChatGPT. Yeah, I have a good buddy who's, who's a big software investor, uh, like a public markets investor. And it's funny because... One thing, you know, the cool thing about being an investor is they have a unique perch. I mean, they see everything. Mm -hmm. And we, I still live in my world and in his world. And so, like, I remember five years ago or four years ago, he's like, Slack is dead, Jesse. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, he's like, Microsoft Teams. <laughs> and I, like, started making fun of him. Yeah. I was like, dude, what are you, what's wrong with you? What are you talking about? And the truth is I'm in my world of techie startup-y totally. people. And Slack is the thing everybody uses. The idea that Microsoft... And that, yeah, I don't know if you saw those charts that went around recently, but apparently Teams is like five times the size of Slack now. That's wild. Because Microsoft owns the enterprise and he's like, they're going to price it to zero. And now Salesforce bought this company and there's like a real challenge with it. And so but the reason I'm saying that is because I think it's important, at least for everyone, to get out of their own bubbles for a second. Totally. And when you get out of your bubble, you start to see things probably in a very, very different light around what's possible. And so he he was talking to me about this and he's just like, you know, the call centers are getting like there's tons of pricing pressure hitting tons of software businesses because of AI call centers. There's literally call centers that are now like gutting their entire teams or human teams. So he sees things from a really high perch. Yeah. And when he shares things with me now, I don't make fun of him because, you know, he's been right many times. I'm like, oh, oh God, this is going to be a real, a real impact on the world. I, I agree with that. I also think to the point you're making about it feeling nauseating, I just feel like, and I could be wrong. I just feel exhausted by it and almost overwhelmed because I feel like I'm disadvantaged because I don't have a technical background. Like I just feel like if I come up with an idea with an AI right now and I decide to spin it up, by the time I've spun it up, someone has already done it and they yeah. will have done it better. Like that is the general feeling I have. And I don't know if that's the right assumption, but it's funny as you talk about just like these different like software tools with AI, there was something I was looking at earlier. It's called Be Human. Have you heard of this company? Mm -hmm. So basically you know, a big part of like marketing automation is like email. You can an email template templates with merge tags. Mm -hmm. What this does is you can do it with video. So you send like a sales pitch, say mm -hmm. on Kahani or any of your businesses and you say, hey, so-and-so, and it uses uh, AI to create 
Multiple versions of that. Thousands of versions. I love it. So you can bring merge tags to video now where for every person you send it to, you can customize it to their name, their company, their position, which is pretty wild. Let's talk about, I want to talk about the way to think about this, maybe top down. And then I want to talk, let's like come up with some ideas. Let's do it. I wrote some down. So, so top down, you know, there's always this concept of like horizontal and vertical solutions, right? Mm -hmm. So you've kind of got like, if you think of it like a cake, open AI is the, like what people think of as the API data layer. Maybe Google or somebody else who has a lot of money and a lot of in- engineering will be able to compete with that. But like, man, they're they're out pretty far to a start. And they obviously, you know, Sam's super smart guy. He he picked the, and he wants to work on huge problems. So he picked the thing that like, if you can win it, is the trillion dollar company. <laughs> they own it. I mean, they're really there. Then like you also have this concept of like you know they say like vertical versus horizontal solutions. And so, like, you know, a horizontal solution may be, like, uh, one of the more successful companies, I think their billion-dollar valuation is uh, Cop Jasper. Yep. So they were one of the earliest. To be, they were, like, kind of ahead of the curve. They built this system of, like, kind of essentially marketing, the use case of marketing being solved by, you know. So you consider that vertical or horizontal solution? Vertical. Yeah. So it's a ver- so it's basically focusing on, a, focusing on a specific category. And solving the problem, leveraging AI. Yep. And, and, like, in theory, I think, like, OpenAI says, I don't want to go solve how e-commerce works or customer service or, you know, and I'm mixing things together. There's vertical, like industry verticals, but yeah. then there's like functional verticals, right? There's customer service. There's probably banking. Yeah, they're like, I want, to, I want to be a toll, toll on the highway. Yeah, and maybe actually the best way for us to think about it is, is a, there's a matrix of industries and then solutions. Yep. Like the way you solve customer service for banking may actually be very different than the way you solve it for uh mcdonald's or every other vertical has a different solution and you know i I think one of the challenges people to be careful of when building on top of open ai is like if your solution's too horizontal they're eventually going to eat your lunch yeah right and and let me caveat this by saying like i'm always of the mind of like get your if you're listening to this you want to get in your head in the game and go start something you'll create some value you'll figure it out yeah so don't hesitate because you're afraid of differentiation at this stage but but like think about the map in your head for where it's going to go I think the most successful companies is somewhat obvious, or not obviously, but it will take one square of that matrix. Like I said, customer service for banking and go, that is a very specific solution. I'm going to have the best models. I'm going to teach, I'm going to use OpenAI, but I'm going to really, really make it so that it'd be hard for anyone else for this to work out of the box. Financial services has unique terms. They have unique issues. They have different times of day and really program the software to solve that problem. And I think that's going to be, that map is going to get built out and I think a lot of the companies who are doing it today, what I've seen at least feel horizontal-ish or like a very thin layer, essentially, a thin vertical layer on top of it. And they'll just have to get better and better over time as they as they double and triple down on well, it. Well, like even a question in my head, just using Jasper as the example, is I'm trying to understand Jasper has picked, let's call it marketing or like content marketing within any vertical business you could do. And they're gonna, they said, using AI, we're going to be the best at content marketing. What are they actually adding on top of OpenAI, on top of this model that actually gives them like a proprietary edge to be better at content marketing? Is it exclusively the way they brand themselves and tell the story of Jasper? Or is there actually something technical that's creating a mode for them? I guess that's my question is like for these vertical businesses that are uh, drafting off of these large language models, what are they actually doing to, yeah. to be on a perch? Well, we could brainstorm. I mean, if you and I were doing it, what would yeah. we do? Like, I think I think some of it's marketing and positioning. I think there's probably a huge usability. Like, I've I've used their tools, and like you you sit inside of them, and you feel like they're built for a marketer. Yep. They, okay, you compose an email, make a Facebook ad. They already know the characters you need. Like these little little UI UX things that are annoying if you're Open AI because. You don't want to deal with. There are just too many use cases to. Yeah, you're like, yeah, like how many characters does each different thing yeah. have? So they so make it, and then I think the last thing I don't know if it's technical or data is probably a better word. Is I believe that they are going to use marketing oriented data to tune the model. Yep. I think that's another thing maybe to unpack. People don't realize like OpenAI is a technology. It it reads information and then produces an output. You can change the information you put yep. into it. So you can tune the information to be medical terminology if you want, or marketing terminology, or banking terminology. And so it itself is really a technology layer. And then you know you can mix in those different pieces of it. So I th- I think there's going to be 
an explosion of ideas and businesses. And I think it's, it's going to create a new industry for sure. Well, so how do you then think about if you were to go build something that is enabled by AI and you just see this absolute explosion of businesses being built, I think part hype cycle, part because it's just easier to build these things than ever before. How do you decide what lane you're picking for yourself? Like, yeah, if you had to come up with an idea and go build something, where would you start? Yeah, well, you know, my answer is going to start with my unfair advantages, but yep. I think for for the for the sake of fun, like, I just think like like I, the other the first way I actually thought about it when I first thought about this question was like, what would be what do I want? And like the number one thing I want, dude, is I want a travel planner. That's like AI. Hey, I'm going to Turkey June second to the eleventh. Going with my kids, you know, my wife. We here's a city. Like, here, tell me what to do, and give me some options, and make it really easy for me to talk to. So that was like a random. I just like wrote up a, a little business plan for that idea. Yeah. Um, okay. So just taking that idea for a second. The first thing that I asked myself because I feel like it's going to be so easy to bundle AI into everything now. For that idea, why do you need AI? I, th I think the ability to aggregate the data and let it make like personalized recommendations to you and the chat, like the, the, the you know, GPT-3 has been around for three years. Yeah, which is wild. Chat GPT changed the game. Yep. Why? Because it's again, like the classic user interface thing, just like- It integrated with people's behavior. But like, dude, if you go back 30, 40 years ago, graphical user interfaces were there. Then you added the mouse and they became a really compelling thing. Yep. So like to me, there is that element of the chat aspect of it, which is like, it feels so natural. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's why it would help. But I, I think the ability to aggregate and customize outputs and responses is super powerful to kind of go. Because the reality is if you were going to Turkey and I was going to Turkey, with if I could simply tell one thing and then get, then get get the entire day by day trip built for my family, like I have an eight year old and a six year old, you have no children, right? Like yep. our days and should, hotels should we stay different. at, they should be very different. Yep. And you can either talk to a travel agent to do that, and you know that's okay, or you that's it, or you can like look at TripAdvisor and make your own version of that. Yep. Which is kind of what most people do today is like we read the internet, we're like, oh okay, that one that one's good for kids. Like my wife will like solve for like she'll search on TripAdvisor for kids yep family oriented you would never do that and totally. then go, oh this hotel's not good for kids jesse okay well let's pick this other one then and that feels like an automation layer that doesn't exist yeah and i think AI. again taking more like specifics to it like if you could basically feed it you know what is your budget for the trip based on what it knows to be the money that you have in the bank that you're willing to allocate to vacation spending yeah. and then it can compare that to your whole itinerary for like how would it basically like use up that money in the most efficient way possible for what you deem yeah. fun. And what activities your family likes versus you, you may, you may have, you know, you're a skier. Yep. I'm, I'm a beginner. I like playing tennis. And again, I don't think we can over uh, state the fact of the interface. Like someone told me once, like in 20 years, when we show maybe my kids or my kids, kids, the keyboard, they're going to go, what? Yeah. You're actually punching keys. You were randomly typing into some strangely yeah. created thing to get the information from your head into the computer. And then you're reading something to get it back to you versus like Jarvis. Yeah. You know? And so I think the, there is a big thing of just like to do, you know, you'd have to answer a 50 question survey to get to the level of specificity for yep. travel that in a, in a very natural conversation, either, you know, maybe audio or verbal and audio, but you just like... Hey, I'm going to Turkey. Oh, that's great. Like, what would you like to do there? Who are you going with? Here's a family. What dates? When, what types of things do you like? And, and that, that natural feeling, I think, is a, is a game changer. So I think, and by the way, I think the other really cool thing that can be done leveraging AI and automations is the integration to other things that you need for your trip. So for example, my fiance and I are going to Africa. There are a lot of things we need to do before going to Africa. We need to get, apply for our visa. Right. We need to order bags that fit on inter-Africa flights because you can only have a certain size bag. Mm -hmm. We have to go see a travel doctor for malaria shots. Right. What if all of those things can be scheduled or ordered or right. worked on as part of that service? Yeah. So yeah. how would you monetize this? If, if people start using this, what's the way that you would extract value? You know, travel, travel is an interesting vertical from what I understand, and I'm not an expert in travel. The, the one, the reason that, by the way, travel, like if you were to, if a new technology called the internet were invented and you were just to do like the matrix of industry size versus monetizability, there's a reason some of the first companies ever started on the internet were online travel things because mm -hmm. they're massive verticals. I mean, the trillion. Everyone travels. Everyone travels. And, but they're like, they're huge verticals. 
they're hyper competitive verticals. And so like the, you know, the picks and shovels businesses were the earliest ones to start. And so the nice thing about it, you know, the way when like hotel tonight or hotels.com. So airlines don't pay shit out in terms of margin is what mm -hmm. I understand. They may give you five bucks if you get them a ticket, which is wild, which is wild. They don't make any money. Yeah. Hotels pay 25% to this day. That's insane. So if you get a hotel a booking, you as a travel agent, whether you're online, whether you're a physical person, get 25% of the booking, which is why there's, I'm sure they've contacted you and they're contacting me, these high-end concierge travel guys. It's like, well, yeah, they're going to book $10,000 of hotels for you. They get $2,500 for the hotel. Totally. So to me, it's it's a, if you make it an amazing service, people love it and use it, you make a ton of money via the hotels essentially. Yeah. So it's an affiliate-based business. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same as the on online travel agencies sure. or any of them. And by the way, I think there's even layers where you don't even need the direct relationships to start. You could get maybe 10 or 15% up front if you just built a great tool on totally. top of it. And then I'm trying to think of other ways you could, mon I mean, car rental, like all these ancillary services, you could, you could. Yeah, you, you, ju you just take small pieces of every type of transaction that's yeah. happening in the travel process. And hopefully you become, you know, you could even start it as a high-end service only. Yep. So your every single customer you go through gets it. Now, the hard part about that business, the business the reason I, you know, is like, is even, even me, customer acquisition expert, like, acquiring customers for that business and like retaining them, it's just, you'd have, it, I think it would take a lot of capital to yeah. get it going. When you say retaining them, are you saying just because you don't travel that often to get someone to continue to use your service with six months, eight months in between is just a hard proposition? Yeah. Well, I think building the, a good product would take you a year plus to even get to the point where people would get on it and use it. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And then you gotta, you have to be the thing, like there's, there's all these other hotel sites. People have, you know, travel is a pretty, uh, you probably have your favorite sites to use. I have my favorite sites to use. Like people already have their way of doing it. So the behavior, it's like the classic 10X better. It has to be that much better of an experience. You know, what could be more interesting is, again, you talked about this, but maybe you, maybe you start a concierge travel agency <laughs> powered by AI. So... You could talk to someone, but they're not actually doing any yep. work in the background. They basically are using your little internal bot to to do the booking. A hundred percent. So your, your idea made me think about uh, an idea that I'd written down. And I wrote down this idea after seeing this video on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. This guy, I can't remember his name. We'll, we'll link to the video in the show notes. But he basically built a tool where he integrated ChatGPT with a computer vision tool such that he, he first asked ChatGPT, what is a keto diet? And it spit out what a keto diet mm -hmm. is. And then he said, can you tell me what is keto friendly in my refrigerator using my phone? Mm. He took his phone, he scanned his fridge, and it told him exactly what ingredients were keto friendly. He then said, using those ingredients, uh, tell me a number of recipes that I can make that are keto-friendly oh, recipes. Man. And it did the whole thing. So then I thought to myself, what is something like a real pain point that I've gone through recently that could do something with a similar pattern? And what I got to was personal styling and shopping. Yeah. Because get it? I, I mean, we're not in person together a lot, but I don't wear dressy clothes that much anymore. Yeah. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. So for me to figure out matching my jeans to my jacket to my... Uh, collar shirt took 30 minutes and my fiance's help. And so what I thought to myself is, what if I can scan my whole closet? It takes inventory of everything that's in my closet. It offers recommendations of based on what's in my closet, what are things that I can match together today? But then also it integrates with the web and it integrates with where I, if I go to a retail store, I can scan what's in the store and it will tell me based on my style that I've worn in the past, what works well with my style, but also if I buy something in that store, what are things in my existing closet that it goes well with? And then when I'm shopping online, same thing if I'm on Lulu's site or if I'm on Vori's site or whatever site it is, Brooks Brothers, it tells me on their website, right. what are the things that will go that. well with my existing closet? So it's personal shopper slash stylist. Yeah. And get you the coupon codes. Exactly. So you can compete with Honey. Now I love that. I mean, all these things, like, like funny, these are cool ideas, which, you know, you have the list for them. Um, but then it flips to like, well, what business would you start or would I start? Yeah. And a lot of it for me is like all the businesses I'm running, I'm trying to find ways to integrate using AI, which I actually think is frankly going to be the more powerful version of it. It's Are like, you integrating at all yet or no? 
Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, all the code for Kahani is written with Copilot. Really? And that's gone on for a, quite a while. Yeah. And like, it's mind blowing to watch someone program with Copilot. I remember you told me like your CTO was just like. He was just like, oh, this is what I would have written. Oh, this is better than what I would have yeah. written. And like, it's just figuring it out for him, which is sort of crazy. We use it for unbloat, for like copy and email writing. Um, have you trained your growth assistants in it yet or not yet? We're working on that. Yeah. yeah. This that business is growing fast. So it's just, they're just slammed. But yeah, the idea of like bringing that into the market and we've had a couple agencies contact us and even a one of my former employees saying, can you, can you take the, we need someone to train all the growth assistants on it. Right. And that's, that's just a, a lift, but I think there's going to be, I mean, your business is, is a good one to talk about. Like what I, you or I might start and maybe it's an AI agency or maybe it's like, again, you're doing this copywriting thing powered by AI. Yeah, yeah. so I have an idea for how it's used within that business, but also how a product is built out of that business that can be sold separately. So just, I guess, for everyone listening, you know, four weeks ago, I tweeted this idea of a ghostwriting, and this isn't a novel idea. I just thought I had an unfair advantage because I know what good content is. I know a lot of entrepreneurs and I know a lot of ghostwriters. A ghostwriting agency where people pay $8,000 a month, I pair them with a great ghostwriter uh, who creates uh, a tweet and a LinkedIn post every day and then a thread and a long po LinkedIn post every week. And the whole idea is that we're doing this for executives and CEOs now. The business today is at 26K MRR after four weeks. Hell yeah. And it's literally just from people in the DMs and me pairing them with ghostwriters. I have not built any of the processes yet right. that need to exist. But one of the big issues with this business that I foresee is it's not going to be a demand problem. It's going to be a supply problem, which is there are tons of ghostwriters. But I think there's a very small minority that I would feel comfortable creating the content for our clients that would actually perform. Right. And so then my issue is, is that makes it a scaling problem. Well, if the typical ghostwriter can only cover four clients typically, how can I extend that to 15? And so it got me down this path of what does it look like if I had an AI-enabled system where every client had every meeting they have um, and every voice memo they leave basically hooked up to a full content system where yep. the meeting is recorded, any voice memo they create is recorded, it's turned into a transcript, that transcript transcript is then turned into social posts, and then only then the ghostwriter gets basically the first draft or even a second draft of those posts and refines them. So they're not involved in account management and they're not even involved in like the brainstorming right. initially. And so I thought, Ultimately, can this extend the ability of ghostwriters to way more people? But also, can that be a product in itself? Can I basically build up an offering on the side that almost is a hedge if content is going the way of being AI enabled and my agency isn't necessary in the future where I'm offering, hey, Jesse, you can sign up for our service and basically all of your really cool experiences in life are going to be easily documented. And every time something is documented, it's turned into content that you can then pick from to refine and post. Yeah. That makes sense. And also even the, like, I was talking to this guy who I've been working with, you know, and I was like, you know, the first thing you should do is interview me for three hours, like in detail. Yep. And then like you could use AI and it goes like, well, we want to talk about a story where Jesse overcame a, a challenging obstacle. And theoretically the AI should be able to read the transcript and say, hey, you should talk about that time you know, uh, you lost your big client because yeah. that's something you mentioned one time. And then, and then that for me, like I was saying, like, I need a tree of my own story Totally. where I'm like, okay, oh, I can tell you this. We lost 40% of revenue one time in December we had it. And by February we didn't, and I didn't know what to do. And I could tell you this whole story about that, that I just, I need almost someone to know my story well enough. That's not me to prompt me on that story. Yeah. I, so that's something that I've noticed with this content agency so far is that one, you want to pick clients who actually have interesting stories versus come up with inauthentically interesting stories. Right. But the second is most people with amazing success or crazy stories, they don't deem them to be all that interesting or crazy or they forget about them. So actually like your most important job is literally triggering their memory. Link, yeah. I mean, not to say this is what you do to, you can do tomorrow, but like imagine if actually this AI was integrated with your actual business. Yeah. And so it can look at a day that you got crushed or crushed it with unbloat and said, tell me about this day. What happened? Yeah. Well, I think we, I've been trying to find more creative ways to do it. And I think there's something like, you know, most of my calls with Carolyn, who's the CEO are, there's a lot of teaching going on. Yeah. Right. And there's like, she has certain questions or she's approaching something in a certain way. And I go, well, what if you did it this way instead? Or here's a concept you probably didn't know. Here's how you could apply it here. 
And so it's like, shit, I should record those. Totally. Because, they, I mean, with exactly. the right editing and the right orientation, those could literally be a course on how do you launch and scale a brand today in today's environment because that's literally that's what we're doing. Yeah, and the, the whole idea is it reminds me of, like, the Gary V content pyramid where you always start from, like, the longest form content and then break it down into micro content. It's what David Perel talks about also, which is, like, start from a place of abundance rather than starting from a place where you're, like, trying to rack I your brain an idea, for a, yeah. an idea the draft of every idea is in front of you and you get to pick which one you want to refine down into the final thing. Yeah. Well, so what are you going to integrate AI with the business? Yes, I want to. Well, so this goes down to, I tweeted this yesterday and then you replied to my tweet about like what the priorities of the agency (laughs) are right now. So basically just, just for full transparency, this is basically a business that is as close to being not a business as it is a business. We have revenue. There's the company hasn't been incorporated. There's no logo. There's no process. Uh, the the initial ghostwriters, like I wasn't even taking a profit for the first two clients. I just wanted to learn the process. So I connected the ghostwriter with the client and the ghostwriter individually invoiced the client. So I was just brokering this. So now like, I have to create some structure. So I was writing down priorities. One was like, have some structure so this can actually be an agency. <laughs> uh, two was um, find more ghostwriters so that I can scale outside of this one ghostwriter I'm working with. And the third was find an operator to run this business. And your reply- I was, hate the word operator, by the yeah, way. I can For tell, the record. I, I know. And I can tell by how you replied to the tweet. Well, I, people use that word and it's, you're, I'm an operator. You're an operator. Like, what the hell does that word? I hate that word. <laughs> I, I hate it with a why, like, why do you hate it's it? It's a douchey word that investors made up to, to de- delineate themselves from the person running the business. Yeah. And whatever. I don't know why I actually care that much about this. But but I, I just find I, – I almost find it to be like, oh, yes. I, I think when like people who – people use it in a way oftentimes – There's I've met investors who are like operators are amazing. Like they're just – they're unique animal, you know. But I've also heard it as like a – It's it's almost a way of like just referring to them as like a second-class citizen. Yeah, just find an operator. Yeah. And it's like just – like no, man. Yeah, that's and, the whole thing. And no, it's it's that's the whole thing. But even like I – like when I think about the, the people I want to partner with – their partnerships and their people who can learn. We'll learn from each other. We'll do different things. But I also, I want, I am an operator. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to, you know, I want to consider myself anything different than that. And so I, I just find the word strange, but I think your number one priority, dude, is you, you got to find someone. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. So this new business we're launching. Yep. Where uh, is that right now in like the... It just, we just incorporated it. We're getting the bank account open. Like I think we will have revenue next month. Is there a name? Yeah, it's called Ox Insights. Okay, Ox is another word for growth. Yep. Um, So it's growth insights. But (laughs) so we, um, you know, this woman Casey, she I've known her for four or five years. We worked with her briefly at Ampush. Like she was, they were a client. Her and I take walks every quarter, catch up about things. And she, you know, she came up through. She was a VC. Then she did corp dev for this company. Then she became the CEO. So she's got a ton of deal experience. And and the business was like a content and media business. So she's overseen tons of Facebook marketing stuff as, as, as have I, and her, you know, she was kind of ready to move on from her thing. And her and I took a long walk and I was like, you know, here's all my ideas. And I have, I don't know, 15 ideas I walked her through and I have them by vertical, like by not vertical, but by trend, like thing that I think is happening in the world. Yep. And you know, I, I talked about, I think I've talked about this before, but like the original idea was like what I call Lambda School for Growth Marketing. Yep. So let's, you know, build a courseware, let's recruit people into it for free, and then let's place them and we'll make money by charging the companies. Right. And she was basically like, I'm not the person for that role of you. Well, right? initially she goes, that's the best idea of the list. Yep. And we went through and we spent, you know, a month validating it. Talked to a lot of my contacts, a lot of growth assistant customers who I know they're CMOs. And we heard tons of demand for it. Right. 
I need more people who know this. I wish my own team knew it. Could you train? Like we found three different businesses just in talking to people about it. Mm -hmm. And then we started going, okay, what's the game plan? I said, you go, go watch what's out there. Like, you know, there's stuff on Udemy, there's Reforge. I was like, let's start to put together our sense for a curriculum. And during her conversations, she she also talked to a few private equity firms. And, you know, private equity firms, for those who don't know, like they're the guys who buy, buy out businesses in whole. And they were like, yeah, we need this training for, for our firm. We also need it for our, our portfolio, portfolio companies. Yeah. And she kept gravitating towards it. Also, sorry, just one question. Why does a private equity firm need training in growth marketing? Well, let's get there, actually. Okay. It's a great question. So so it's funny because I was like the, the classic, you know, guy selling something at a store. And, and, and I started going, and, you know, this was an important thing I've learned from coaching. I said, I, I, you know, I'm reading between the lines here, Casey, but you don't seem energized by the teaching part of this. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's like, yeah, I don't, she's like, I know this stuff pretty well, but I don't get excited by teaching people. And I was like, oh, okay, well, one thing I've learned is that if you, you know, we have to marry our unfair advantages in a very meaningful way. And I was like, so what are some of yours or why are you gravitating towards this? And she goes, well, I know how these people work. I know how they think I've done deals. I've bought businesses before I've, I worked at a VC and, and so I go, it's funny you say that I have another idea. And I like have this piece of paper I pulled out and I'm like, here's the idea. And the idea is there's a, there's a pretty big cottage industry of, of like what's called private equity due diligence. So, you know, for example, when Ampush was being acquired, I'm sure the same is true for you guys. Deloitte got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to analyze our accounting and our financials. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it makes sense. You're about to buy a company for tens of millions of dollars. You're like, hey, we'll spend a couple hundred grand to make sure their accounting is not BS that they've collected everything correctly, their balance sheet's not a lie. And I assume the reason that like the private equity firm doesn't have that knowledge in-house is because it's not like they're doing deals every day, so you don't actually need that competency in-house all the time. Yeah, yeah, and maybe the bigger they get, like, you know, bigger firms may have more of those competencies, yep. but even accounting as a thing, it's like, it's a little bit better to let it live there because it's kind of arcane. Yep. What they need is more arcane than like is their core competency, right? And then, you know, Bain and McKinsey both have nine-figure-plus businesses in a slightly different form of due diligence. I actually worked on them when I worked at McKinsey. Like, uh, back in the day, KKR was buying Bell Canada. Mm -hmm. It was, like, at the time, it was a $40 billion, trend largest PE thing in history. And I spent six weeks in Toronto, and I had to build a financial model that was able to take all the pricing data from every single carrier in Canada and within any, like, range of budget predict who is going to be more or less expensive. So I built this financial model. It took me like two weeks working 80 hours a week. And they used it to basically make assumptions about their investment that were super, super critical. Yep. Right? So so I, the reason I wrote this idea, that, so the idea was let's help private equity firms do specifically digital marketing, growth marketing diligence. And the reason I had the idea is because I, without, I'm not kidding, every month one of my friends from one of these firms who I went to college with goes, Hey man, we're about to buy this business. It's a two hundred million dollar business. You know their P and L is one hundred and fifty million, and more than fifty million, and more than a third of their P and L is being spent on digital marketing. Yeah, we need to understand this. We can't tell if yeah. if they're amazing. Is it a risk? Is there opportunity? Is there whatever? And I always was like at Ampush, I was like, yeah, we don't do that. You know, I'll look for you as a friend, and I'd spend an hour and I kind of give them a couple things to think about, and even you know. But the second she started going, I go, hey, there's this other idea. What do you think about this? And she's like, that is me. She's like, I love being the investigative person. Like, you know, I like to put together puzzles. I like to, you know, go deep into different things. And so within, you know, after a month or so of diligence, we we sort of said, no, let's go, let's go pursue that. Yeah. And again, this seems like very much within just like what you know super well. Like same thing with growth assistant. Like yeah. it, it wasn't a problem you have to think about if it's a problem. It's like a problem you have felt and you have heard about. I know there's years. demand for it and like it needs to be. And then like, you know, the the McKinsey, just to give you a sense for pricing, charges six hundred thousand to a million dollars per project. Oh for my this, god. For like four people for a month. Yeah. And so you can just imagine the margins and the, like the way that business, we won't be able to charge that much, but like, you know, it's, it's totally worth it. And like the other, we, we actually had a couple pitch calls with big PE firms and like, you, I love, one thing I love about selling is what people say back to you that then you incorporate into your pitch. So an unnamed large cap private equity firm, this guy who's a friend of mine, he goes, you know, McKinsey and Bain are too high level. They're hand-waving when it comes to digital marketing. They're just, they're not tightly deep. They don't get it the same way. And the agencies out there are both 
too granular. They're not strategic enough and they're very self-serving. Yeah. So he's telling you how to market yourself. He literally was yeah. like, so you're telling me you're going to be in between. You're not an agent. You don't, you're not going to sell us anything after the fact. I go, no, we're just here to do this. And he goes, you know this stuff and you can translate it up so I can explain to people I'm in. And so, you know, that's the business. Okay. So you incorporated the business. You have this partner. What's the next step? Like, do you go and find clients now? Do you have to find? Yeah, we, we have a name. We put together materials. You know, we've we started to kind of ghost out an example of how we would do this so that we ourselves know what it's going to take. I've lined up a lot of former Ambush employees who, like, the other thing is, you know. We, That's we have, what I was going to ask. Who is the talent you're using to basically do the diligence? Yeah, we have a couple pe- like, couple of full-time people we're going to bring on who we know are pretty good at this. Um, and then, and then we have like a huge network of consultants on, of every type, like every, every kind. So I have a Facebook expert and she's, you know, for 125 bucks an hour, she'll go through all this stuff and prepare that part of it. I have a bunch of CMO friends and we, we've already created a 10 person CMO expert network. So essentially one of the cool things we're going to do to differentiate is after we've done the 50 page diligence, one of these CMOs will review it and actually write a memo saying, as the, as a CMO, now that I'm looking at everything, here's what I think is really, really important. Yeah, so you. it's kind of like what you were saying your friend at the private equity firm was talking about. So you're sitting in the middle of these two things. It's you're going to have like the analysts from Ampush who are doing the deep due diligence. Exactly. But then like tying it together with kind of a strategic recommendation or view is how you use the CMO. Yeah, and the, and the core output we're, we're going to do is like, Think of the waterfall of like, here's where you're at right now. Here's what your goals are. Here's the big levers you want to pull. Now we've diligenced each current one and we've told you the things that can actually allow you to do that. Yeah. And so it's, you know, another way to think about what I'm doing. This is like, I always tell people when you have an expertise, when you have something, go find the, the highest bidder for who's willing to pay for the stuff that you know. Totally. And so th- there couldn't be, I can't imagine, the only higher bidder, the only way I could monetize it further, which I will at some point, is like by owning parts of like, you know, owning stakes in these companies and then being the guy who goes, here's the things you have to fix to, to make it better. Totally. I could just also envision like you start with this like one work stream, but ways to expand the work stream over time. As you're hearing from clients, what are other places that they experience the same problem with the diligence? Totally. It's a, well, I mean, you're saying go horizontal. Yeah, you're saying go more vertical. I would go like, to me, it's a beachhead now. Yeah. So you're, now you're saying, okay, this is where you see now. Now we can launch the Lambda school yeah. of growth, Mark. Oh, you need, you need great people. Yeah. Well, we'll train them. Well, you trust us because yep. we, we taught you what to do here. Yeah. And that stays within what you know. And then we think there's a data business opportunity. Like if they all opt in to let their data be shared, like we could start to have this like consortium. I mean, there's a lot of, it becomes a big beach. And we talked to a couple of the firms about like, would you be open to us co-investing? And, and it's like, if, if one of these big baller private equity firms is doing a deal and we get to look at it and we like it, like, absolutely. Yeah, it's super You know, you can raise a fund against it. So, but but I think the, anyway, that was a fun, fun to tell that story live for the first time. I think the take, one of the takeaways for you is like, who is that person? What is their unfair advantage? What is their genius? And also like- How does it compliment me? A compliment and make sure that they have a genius that, like make sure the business is their genius, yep. not the other way around. I think that makes total sense. Uh, uh, honestly, I like in these discussions, just these like, almost like uh, these weekly or biweekly updates on our businesses. Cause it's like, just it, to me, it just is a textured way of telling business lessons because we're just pulling out of these businesses we're building the, sh- the shit that we're learning along the way. Yeah. I and I, well, I think there's like technical parts to this. We're going to try to build, like once we've done a few of these, We'll say like, what could a script do in terms of pulling the data and giving the base analysis? Can AI be helpful yep. in this? Okay, how could AI be used? So maybe we not only show them what we think's wrong with their creative, but we use generative AI to do examples of, you know, it might not be the exact creative they'll use, but hey, you're not using enough bright colors, enough urgency language. Do, 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 do. AI, yeah. hey, here's some examples of what we might use if we were you guys. Yeah, the way I think about it is that at the simplest level, you're being paid a lot of money because... Basically, anytime you scale up deal size, you can charge more money. Your wedge is showing opportunity in a given deal within your area of expertise. And once you've shown opportunity, it's basically how can you solve that opportunity yourself as a service for them in some way. I love it. Um, Okay. Before we sign off, we're going to do a startup AMA. This is from Roger in Chicago. Roger asked, I was wondering, have either of you created an advisory board for your businesses, or do you know someone else who has? I would, I would love insight into this as I'm looking into building one for my startup. What are your thoughts on building an advisory board and how to best use your advisors? What's your thought? Do you think they're stupid? Yes. <laughs> um, God, it, it, the, the life like left your face 
No, I think it's a good thing to talk about because it's probably one of the most misunderstood parts of entrepreneurship. And it's, you know, uh, it's a co-created problem in my opinion. And I, I think, that mean? I think I, I, meaning I think it's, it's, it's not on either advisors or entrepreneurs. They, they co-create a challenge, I think. Um, and I, I guess maybe I have like one of my many battle scars is like, I would meet someone, they'd take an interest in me. I'd like them. I think they have something really distinct about the, okay, Hey, here's half a point of the company. Like, yep. go help me, go help me. Right. Not, not appreciating like where they break down basically is the entrepreneur is usually too busy to actually integrate the person in their workflow. And the person doesn't actually have enough skin in the game for them to like make it a priority on their priority list. Mm -hmm. And so I, I outright, I am not an advisor to anything that I don't have money into. Now I will put money into things and then say, Hey, by the way, give me a bump and I'll make sure my LinkedIn's available to you or what, what are those kinds of things yep. that are there. But so it sounds like your issue with advisory boards is not that advisors can be valuable to companies. It's the way that it is set up uh, doesn't create nearly enough incentive for them to, on an ongoing basis, want to help you out. Yeah, for both sides. Like, yeah. The advice I give people, even for myself, and I was like, I want you to be an advisor. I'm like, okay, uh, let's decide that in six months. Yeah. I want you to ping me. I want to see if I make time for you. Do I actually care about you and your idea enough? I'm a busy guy, so if I don't make time on my schedule now, like I'm definitely not going to, you know, after you've given me the thing. Mm -hmm. And then I want to see, do you make use of me? And can I actually have an impact on it? And it almost never, it never turns into a relationship. Same, same exact thing has happened for me, which is like the first time I was ever offered an advisory role, I took it. And I felt so bad yeah. a few months into it because I'm like, I have not earned my equity in this business and this feels really shitty. And, you know, maybe it creates tension in our relationship now because they're like, why did I give this person any equity in the business? So now without fail every time, I don't say six months. I'm just like, let's just keep the conversation going and reach out to me, ask for help. And if I have deep interest in the business and you have deep interest in what I've provided to the business, then we can have that conversation. And I'd say to your point, like, nine times out of 10 so far, it's led to like, I didn't have nearly enough interest, yeah. which means they shouldn't be making me an advisor. Yeah. So I think, I think building an advisory board is one of them. I'd put it as one of the many distractions that entrepreneurs create to think that they're going to build a better business instead of just selling stuff to customers. Yeah. And I'd say, if you know the person a really long time, if they have a ton of vested interest in you, if they're going to put money into the business, there's good reasons to do that. But I think the actual thing of building a, a, an advisory board is, a, is just a weird thing. Now, if you're going to be super diligent and schedule calls with them every week and you're going to be really specific. And Isn't there a software that does that now? I forgot. Maybe. There's, there, there's some software that it's like all about you set up your advisory board and it's like it helps you. Specifically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an intro thing. I'm yeah, exactly. And, and it helps you with like CRM of like holding your advisors accountable. Yeah, it shows you their network. Yeah. How like a C or something, yeah. So I think there's stuff like that. I think I would instead of building an advisory board, I, what I would, what I've done, and what I would recommend is, as you pitch customers, there will be invariably some customers, especially in B two B, who are like, "Man, this is a cool idea," or "You're a compelling person," and I try to build deep relationships with those people, and then at some point in the first year, create some kind of like a client advisory board. Yep. And these are people who are your actual clients, and maybe no more than three of them. And then make sure you talk to them once a month. Here's what I'm seeing, guys. What do you think? And like one of the coolest parts about building a B2B company in particular is there's a lot of people working at big companies who have startup dreams. And to see someone else doing it, it gets them really, really excited. And oh. so that's more more my jam. I would I generally would advise against advisory boards. Uh, pursue lots of great relationships with people. And if, if you have a good one that lasts a long time, then maybe ask them to invest and give them a, a sweet deal along with the investment. Yep. Uh, so I, I totally agree with you. Uh, two things I'd add. One is it makes me think back to, so Morning Brew never had an advisory board. And there was a period of time where we were growing a lot. And Austin and I were like, we've never built a media business before. Like there, we're starting to encounter problems that we feel like we have blind spots. How can we reveal those blind spots other than hiring senior leaders or people who have this experience? And so during that period of time, we met some like very legit media CEOs, names that you would know. And there was an unnamed um, media executive who we met with. We met with this person twice. We were like, okay, this person makes sense to be our first advisor because they've seen everything. And we asked them to be an advisor. They were in. And it kind of goes to the point of what you're saying, which is like the advisor needs to like, 
be so committed to the thing or else like it's just going to break down. No. This person never signed their advisory agreements. Like they just forgot to sign them. They would have cashed out at our deal and they just never signed the agreements. And like the communication kind of just fell off because – and in some ways I feel like that's almost – in a way, how the system is supposed to work. Um, but my big thing, and maybe you were alluding to this, is like I think the best thing is you find people who have a vested interest in your business because they personally find it interesting or they they want to bet on you, and they're helping you for a while. Like they are demonstrating yeah. help. You build a relationship. I almost view it like a mentor versus going and finding a mentor. Yeah, Someone is mentoring you over the course of your life, and then you find ways to give them upside because they've shown that they – they can create more upside if given more interest. Yeah, what one maybe slightly unpopular thing I'll say is it's anyone who's worth being an advisor probably should have twenty five to fifty thousand dollars to put into your company. Yeah. Right. If they don't, if they're like, no, no, I just want I just give me the, the advisory shares. I, I don't I don't want to put twenty five K and fifty K and I'm a little I'm a little skeptical of that. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking in my head, like, where does your argument break down? And I was like, you know, I'm thinking about like some of these really great young hustler employees from Ampush who are unbelievable growth marketers. Wouldn't that person be a great person to like be an advisor in terms of growth marketing? But then in my head it's like they could just be a great employee. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, they could be great advisors, but I, I, I think that they would have a breakdown also of like where the founder would leverage them or not. Yeah. Um, like John has done it. I think he's done well with it. He's, a, you know, he's a CEO caliber person who knows this stuff. Yep. Um, it's tough, man. It's, it's. I'm not saying no, like never, never, never no, but I think like basically. I think there's better use of your time most of the time. Yeah, I agree. Well, this was awesome. We finally got to do this yeah, live in I love person. It. It's only been, I don't know, how many episodes have we done at this point? Way too many to have Almost this. a year. Yeah, it's crazy. So a year in, we finally are in person doing this show. It felt great. And uh, thank you all, as always, for listening to or watching The Crazy Ones, best startup show on planet Earth. If you have any topics you want us to cover on an upcoming episode, shoot us an email at thecrazyones at morningbrew.com, and we will catch you all next week. Take it easy, everyone. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.